0: This podcast was recorded and produced on Treaty 7 land, in the traditional territories of the Nitsitapi and the people of Treaty 7. Hello, all, and welcome back to Dear Students. Today's episode will be co-hosted by myself, Maddie Podborski, and my classmate, Emily Lang.
1: Hi, everyone. As Maddie mentioned, we're classmates in our third year of the entire Interior Design program.
0: On today's episodes of Dear Students, we are joined by some of our professors from the Faculty of Interior Design. Not only are our professors an amazing source of theoretical and conceptual knowledge, they also have extensive experience as either current or previous professionals working in the industry. They bring real world knowledge and experience into the classroom and allow us a glimpse into the world we are entering upon graduation.
1: Today we're joined by Alan and Chokia and Nate Wagner. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, we'd love to start with you both introducing yourselves, telling us a bit about what subjects and years you teach, as well as what position and area of the industry you're either currently practicing in or have practiced in previously.
2: Okay. Um, I guess I'll start. My name is Alan Anchokya. What did I call you? No, that's good. <laughs> you said it correctly. Uh, Alan Anchokia. Uh I started teaching actually part-time and it was about five years after I graduated from this program so I graduated from this program in interior design in Mount Royal University and started teaching in the studios and being a crit and when after a number of years when positions opened up to teach full-time classes uh, I kind I, I I started doing full time. Um, currently, uh, the whole time I was doing that, and currently now I teach all the building systems classes, or most of them. Before the we changed it to a bachelor degree, we used to call it construction classes. So, I, I taught all the cl- a lot of the construction classes. Um, I used to teach actually all the third and fourth years. and never really dealt with first years, <laughs> and so. A number of years ago, when I started when I started full time, I decided that um, we decided that yeah, you know, it'd be good for me to do first and second year, which was great. Um, I love the level uh, where students are at when they're just coming in and learning, uh, and and you know, I do miss the third and fourth years where you can be more um, exploratory and push the boundaries even more in your design and construction st- um, classes. What else did you want to know? Oh, what? where did I start in the industry or currently I practice? So when I decided to go into interior design, and it was my second degree, I was already a mature student. Um, I knew I wanted to do retail and restaurant design. So that's when I came in. That was my goal, finish design retail and restaurant (laughs) and so um, but I actually fell in love after a number of years uh, in the industry with commercial design and so um, that's where I currently kind of live in many of my designs in when I was working as an interior designer
1: do you miss working
2: I do Um, there's parts that I miss and the parts that I do not miss and it was actually nice when I was doing part-time teaching because I still got um, to do b- the two things I love to do. Um, but to jump in full-time, um, I totally enjoyed because it, it was a great opportunity to help develop a, a new program here at Maroil.
0: So. Amazing. How about you, Nate?
3: Hey, so thanks for having me. My <laughs> name's Nate Wagner. Um, I teach in third year. So I teach Design Tools 5 and Design Tools 6, and I teach Studio 5 and Studio 6. So for those listening, Design Tools is all about the software and how you can leverage technology to uh, bring across your design intent and how you can use different platforms and different methodologies and try to portray the graphic intent of your design, which is a ton of fun. Uh, I like it a lot. It's always kind of Continually keeping you updated and helping people troubleshoot odd software problems, which is actually quite rewarding. So. Well,
1: we're glad you're around to help us. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: think we've all had a like very late night issue. Everyone's like, Nate, oh my God, <laughs> help me.
3: Uh, and then in terms of industry practice, so I've been teaching at Mountain It's My second full year teaching here started during the pandemic, which was... Quite strange. I
4: bet right, oh, yeah, no to do kidding. the first
3: year online. I'm very happy to be in person because troubleshooting software. You're like, no, move to the left. No, my left. Okay, a little more left. No, not that button. Click it and go down. No, not that one. It is... We're
1: familiar with being yeah, on the other side of yeah, that. that. Yeah.
3: I have those acid flashbacks. So I'm like, oh,
1: don't
4: ask
3: me for help online. Oh. Uh, yeah. So you know, it's the second year here, being in person with you guys, which is which is really great. Um, prior to that, uh, or actually, I guess. Prior to teaching wise, I had taught at ACAD for about six years uh, in the continuing education department. So, I did. You yeah, know, it was kind of 2012 on, which was was a lot of fun. It was different. It was mostly graphic design stuff, evenings and weekends. Uh, pretty different vibe because most of the people there are professionals who are you know marketing people who want to learn about graphic design to, to supplement their knowledge. So that was pretty different. That was fun. And then for a couple of years, I taught. At U of C, at the uh, SAPL, which it's called now, mm-hmm. School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape. And I taught in the master's program for landscape design, doing something akin to design tools.
4: Wow. Yeah. So,
3: yeah. And then actually, I saw that it was an opening, and I'm like, oh, I'd love to be a full time teacher. There's, it's, a, it's a very different vibe. So I applied, and for whatever reason, fooled them, and they hired me. <laughs> uh, so I'm. Uh, associate professor right now on a tenure track for five years so wow I'll
1: amazing.
3: yeah hope to stick around
1: and so do you still work in private practice
3: i do so i'm an associate at mbac the mark butane architectural collaborative i've been working there since 2012 when i started as a, as a student in my master's degree and then graduated and stuck mm-hmm. on there and have been there ever since and yeah that's a super rewarding we do more um, critical practice and so we try to approach the design focused work and how that furthers the built environment and at a kind of a variety of scales. Uh, so, we do a lot of public works. We do the odd, you know, residential here there, and majority is commercial. So, for the city of Calgary and predominantly the city of Edmonton in the last few years, doing everything from doing a soccer center right now. We just finished a library in Calgary. You've done the Woodbird Sanctuary, did a couple of buildings for the Edmonton Valley Zoo. So, uh, a wide range, no, no specialty, but focusing on how the built environment can kind of enhance the human experience, regardless of scale. So
0: amazing! And you have your master's in architecture, is that correct?
3: Yeah, actually, Alan and I graduated together. Yep.
1: <laughs> ah, got a couple architects. In here. Mm-hmm. Well, I do have a question on that note. So you went to school together. Yes. That's where you met. Yes. Can you tell us something about the other that students might find Ooh. interesting, dun, 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 oh. funny,
3: Everybody out of character, jealous, anything? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Everybody was jealous of Alan because he was very talented.
1: Oh.
4: Oh, okay. So, yeah, was very insecure mm-hmm. around him. Um,
2: so. <laughs> Nate, actually, um, I don't think, I, I think you're still doing it. Capoeira? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, this, right? You, no way. I saw you do some, de- um, your group. Yeah. dance at some of the festivals that we had with pre-covid yes. or post pre-covid yeah. uh in those um in the kind of the shows and community festivals. yeah the lilac, festival, lilac and, festival
0: yeah yeah capoeira so, is like the street dance fighting yes. brazilian Bra- dance brazilian. Brazilian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: that's really cool yeah
4: yeah cool
1: I don't think we would have known that. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Alan.
2: <laughs> we'll have lots we'll of, have lot of questions about that. You might have to take the class into a cup or something. Yes. Oh yeah. my <laughs> goodness, that would
0: be so fun. I'd really like to see everyone flinging around the room.
1: That'd be great. So just back to some of the work that you do at the firm, I guess two questions out of that is, first one being, how do you balance that if you're a full-time professor here and you're still working, um, and also do you have a favorite project that you've done that would be worth yeah. sharing? Yeah.
3: Uh, the, the balancing is tough. It's a lot of work and it's constant. Uh, I mean, so the the teaching stream that, I, that I'm that i on also tries to bring in research. And so like my boss, Mark, who is a professor of Allen's, mm-hmm. you try to partner research and critical design with teaching. And so you, one informs the mm-hmm. other. And so when I am able to teach you guys, I try to think of things critically and how do they get resolved in practice. And so when I'm then building or when we're building as a firm, we try not to just do, okay, we're going to do bare minimum, let's get it done, let's get it built. We take a lot of pride and we we try to push the things that we tell you guys, conceptual design, rigor, because we fervently believe that that actually makes a difference in the built environment. And that approaching architecture, interior design, design in general, from a conceptually robust perspective where you do forefront the human condition and you try to push the boundaries makes for better placemaking and so there's a really nice partnership between the two uh, it is tough it's a it's a lot about structure and just not taking a ton of time off and trying to do both um but i enjoy it. i think it's rewarding i really love teaching i like talking to people about design i find it makes me a better practitioner uh and i feel i'm a better teacher because i practice and so i'm pretty up on Building code, you know, design trends, materials, software. And so being able to kind of combine those two, I think it's it's, it's fun. Uh, yeah, I enjoy it. In terms of favorite projects, that's <laughs> uh, a tough yeah, one. That's a
2: loaded one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've um, done a lot of really great projects. So.
3: Yeah, thank you. Nice. Uh, I think my own personal favorite one might be 4th Street. Only because it's very interesting. It's you know we work with Christoph, we just go out of Harvard, is world renowned artist, and you project this avatar on one side of the street and cross it, and so it's 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 not quite architecture because it's an underpass enhancement, but it's not civil engineering because we have you know million dollars worth of LEDs that track you, and there's a software specialist and all these things that come together, and then to see it done, I thought was was very interesting. It was a very challenging project. Uh, and so the reward of a project that's completed is is really up there. So.
0: And how about you, Alan? Favorite project?
2: Um, my favorite project when I was in practice <clears throat> it was Sprung Instant Structures. Uh, we had a chance to design. They were moving from their office here in Calgary uh, in the inner city, and they were in this old building um, on 10th Street near uh, a not not doing co-op, really run down place. And they were going to build a brand new corporate head office or international head office in mm-hmm. Alderside, down south in Calgary. And the interesting thing, why I love that project was because it was my first project kind of solo or leading a design team. And it was the first time that I was thro- kind of just thrown in and going, and here, present present to the you know the company and the client and it was I, I put the designs together and and I thought my boss was going to present what I the material boards and all the renderings mm-hmm. but he looked at me and and go you did the design you can go present it and I was not prepared wow but it was exhilarating and frightening at the same time. And I, I still remember that day. We're in this small room, similar to this. I had my eight material boards and or presentation boards together, and just started talking. And it was so amazing uh, because and frightening because it was something totally different from what they are were naturally going to have thought for themselves. Because they were in this old building, and mm-hmm. what they wanted to do was I don't know if you know sprung instructors, you know the the big, um, the Gulf Dome. Mm
4: -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: They're the ones who make those or provide, they're they're one of the big suppliers around the world for those. So what they wanted to do was actually build their corporate office in one of their own structures. So that was the neatest thing because, you know, to showcase what you do and you're actually going to create your own interior, uh, your corporate office inside it was incredible. That, structure is just um, plastic basically so it's not a regular regular type of wall where it's just solid it was plastic so we had to build the entire interior office and manufacture within this kind of structure so we had a lot of freedom to do uh, what we want what we wanted to do and it was designing I think it was two cafes um, Two cafes, a full size gymnasium, a fitness center, a, um, sh- two shower rooms, offices, and then two manufacturing one for their frame and one for the fabric. So it was huge project, and we really got to play around with new things. And because nothing, no wall was straight, because, and then your wall had to end up, I guess, some type of fabric wall. I'm like well how do you attach to that so there was a lot of this trying to figure it out yeah uh, and how would that would that would be so it was so much fun and the the nice thing was the client got our design and that's rare sometimes when your client goes I get what you're doing and they were just willing to go with you and and uh, trust you that uh, you were you were going to make this amazing space for them um, so that was great, and, and that was very rewarding in the end. It was about two and a half years, about two years when it was, t- when it was fully done. And so that was probably my, one of my favorite projects where I think that pushed me over the edge where, oh, I really want to do architecture.
1: So, okay. Right,
2: and so that was kind of yep. I I this is I want to kind of head that way.
1: So at the time you had finished the design school, but you mm, had not yet yes. gone to architecture,
2: architecture school. school. Yeah, so I worked in interior design for about eight and a half nine years, and um, and then through that time had all these experiences working in an architectural firm which had an interior design department. So I was exposed to architects and working with architects. So That really helped in regards to solidifying, yeah, no, I want to do that part of the design process also.
1: So, what would you say to students in our uh, program in any year, really, that are thinking about going on to architecture school in terms of, you know, time in industry in between, Mm -hmm. going straight
2: in, Mm -hmm. things to consider? It really depends on what your goal is, and like in the end, or what type of work you want to do. And I would say, test things out. You know, I don't think it's a rush. I actually, that's why I worked in interior design for a bit because I wanted to see what I, what there is in interior design, what can be done in interiors. Um, <clears throat> the only, you know, people who want to go straight from school into architecture school, that's also another great path. Um, but I think you lose kind of like the real world experience mm-hmm. in working in that field mm-hmm. <clears throat> right and so I think um, and you know to be you know and as an architect you can do interiors and that's uh, but I think with interiors and uh, as the basis uh, for me was projects were faster so you got to see your projects um, completed in a faster period of time and there was more design Um when you got into architecture or when i got into architecture it depends on who you work for mm-hmm. sometimes it's very um you know there's very little in the design part of it or not a whole lot of time allocated cuz it's a kind of a typical uh warehouse project so there's really you know the client doesn't spend all this money for design so um and the projects are much longer um in the industry so I find it was a great balance to have both interiors and architecture, um, that there were times when I can actually delve into interiors a lot more, or architecture.
3: Yeah, they're at such different scales, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. And I think interior design is such a good basis to get into architecture. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of an odd one because I think architecture's design discipline is really informed by your experience. Right. So how you're sensitive to to different people, to different people's needs, cultural sensitivities and the more things you see. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's the saying, art, like 40 architects around 40 is this book that comes out. You know, 40 is considered really young in the architectural profession.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: And I think having that intermittent time in industry is important. Mine in between my like undergrad and then my master's was doing 3D visualization. So working in an architecture firm, just doing. 3D visualization and so you approach it from a different one. But mm-hmm. the time scales, the application and stuff are are interesting. And to Alan's point, you know, the the fun thing about architecture or interiors is that everything is always new. Which is both great and, you know, frightening because every new project you're like, oh I'm using brick for this one. I Haven't done brick before. Better <laughs> yeah. research it, right? And so it's this kind of odd continuous learning application in design in both interiors and architecture. Right. But having the basis and the understanding, and I think a focus on people, is is pretty important. I think there's a bit of a divide there between architecture and interior design. Yeah.
2: If you have the interiors perspective, you do focus more on well that interior space and work kind of work you and have that sensibility when you're now being tasked to design a building on a site, right? Instead of going, well, here's the form, the, the building and the form on the site, but not think about what happens to the people outside that building, how they experience the building inside. So for students coming out of interior design and um, going into architecture, I think there's, um, like Nate was saying, there's just a different perspective. And I think that was also the nice thing about architecture or the masters of architecture, especially the one at UC, where, where we went, was that all the all our classmates had different undergrads. Mm-hmm. They weren't mis- necessarily direct uh, directly related to architecture. So it was so interesting to see people who had finance degrees become architects and artists who became architects or botany bot- botany, botany. architects, right? So that's cool. <laughs> so their perspective on on space and buildings and form it was was interesting. Uh, and you got a lot of, of out of that when they're presenting because they come about the same project that we all do, but just in a different way.
0: Yeah, their experiences would color their perspectives and approaches right. so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: and I think you know, there's an in, interesting separation between architecture school and interior design, maybe because it's a different discipline or from undergrad to master's degree. But interior design is really focused on creating something that solves a problem right you're, you're dealing with that at the human scale whereas architecture is much more theoretical based almost as a discipline at least the approach it well you would see
2: at in school yeah for sure when you're in school the approach is very theoretical and honing in on your skills your creative skills because that one um that one's hard not really learned and it's, it has to be more fostered yeah. what your skills are all the technical things that you know the, the um, construction drawings or you know the deep uh, lighting and things like you do learn it in school but the the real learning is when you are interning and you really get to a, look at it in a in a real like, project mm-hmm. um, that's for me was the same thing and in, in architecture school a lot of it was very theoretical and abstract uh, and then the concrete stuff the real concrete stuff came out when you are interning as an architect. Oh
1: wow I would have thought it was really technical really
2: construction-based. There is technical classes you have to take but the big focus for all the studios was very abstract. Yeah um,
3: you have classes in general engineering so yeah. you understand what a mechanical Structures, engineer does. Electrical. lighting,
2: you do have all those classes. Yeah
3: stuff. but yeah. in terms of I would say our interior design students are much more capable in terms of creating a detailed construction drawing set and understanding that process than someone who's coming out of architecture school. In architecture school, it's very much, well, that's required in the job. You have to learn that. Learn it outside of school. Learn CAD outside of school. If you need, they're not going to teach you step by step. Right, It is you're you're here to learn design thinking and then how you apply that at differing methodologies and scales and you know it can as alan said be very abstract. Mm.
0: Right. I feel like we have that a bit in our program though mm-hmm. we start first years quite conceptual and slowly move into right. more realistic thinking for figuring out how to create our designs in real life because we've imagined it this way and now we need to create it yeah if there's first years
1: listening that are like why am i doing mm. this you know random abstract model just hang on <laughs> it make makes sense, more sense later <laughs>
3: yeah and that, most design education is that way and part of it is breaking the preconceptions of what a design mm. has to be or what architecture is or what interior design mm. is because otherwise it's just i do this because you think it looks good and that has issues then with subjectivity and, and appropriateness of a of a design and so you kind of need to understand things at a level based on concept or the vernacular of of the surrounding and then you manifest that into a design later
0: so it's um something that i've gotten throughout the years is that i do a lot of curved walls in all of my projects and even in first year when we were doing concept it was curves and swirls all over the place and one of the biggest feedbacks i've gotten is that curves aren't really done in industry because they're really difficult to construct, which I'm experiencing in all of the construction drawings we're doing right now. But what's something that you guys have noticed throughout your teaching experiences that we do in school but isn't really done in practice?
2: I don't think it's there's a hard line that it's not done in practice. It really depends on when you're out of school. There's other driving forces that affect the type of design you're going to be providing for your client. And the big, one big part of it is budget. The next one, you know, another one is timeline. Um, so it's not like curves are never done uh, <laughs> in <laughs> practice because funny enough, I used to do all um, squares and straight lines gridded. Everything was had a grid. But when I left school, my first pro- my first few projects were all curves. There was not a single straight line in a, this, you know, a fixture that I designed. And but you had to, uh, you just it took more time to mm-hmm. build to to figure it out to build it. Um, Market Mall uh, Customer Service Center, which but it's all curves, two huge curves. That was one of the first millwork projects that i i had to i designed, and it was that was tough <laughs> to figure out compound curves and you know how does the millworker work with their materials to actually create your curves so that for me that was exciting so but it you know the client was willing to go there with you mm-hmm. um and um uh, provide money i guess to build it uh,
3: so I don't know, your, your experience, Nate. Yeah, no, I think that's the biggest difference is that in school, you're designing ostensibly for yourself. You want to do something that you enjoy and obviously gets you a good mark, I'm sure, is a thing that the students <laughs> yeah. want to do. We'll
1: take um, them if you want to give them up. <laughs> yeah. But,
3: yeah, it's, it's harder than that in practice. Uh, and Again, like practice is this huge thing where you have firms that do hundreds of millions of square feet a year. And it's just get it done warehouse type thing. You have smaller firms like kind of the things that we focus on where we try to align our interest in design with a client group who's going to let us design a specific way because they have that trust in, in the designer. That's pretty rare and that's very difficult to do. And even within that, you know, you, you are designing for someone else to meet more functional needs, budgetary needs. And so I think the biggest thing is just it, it goes less on designing for yourself and more designing for something else. Whether that's a client an organization, a, a budget, and you have to be more flexible, you can't hold on to your. I want to do this beautiful curved wall, right? Like that can just get cut, and and you have to still one be happy and enjoy what you're doing, ideally.
2: Well, that's that's and that's where the projects in school are. You know, we do we try to provide a client and profile for you. But we're very flexible in how you approach and how you interpret that profile or program mm-hmm. um, for your clients. So, like Nate said, it's it's so you, in a way it's yeah you're there is a program but you really are designing for yourself <laughs> in a way. <laughs> and then when you are out there, it yeah it is there's the client is providing that program and they will tell you um, whether it's you know that's not their taste or. That's not where what they thought it would be, or, and there's lots of
3: revisions. That's yeah, and it's the big challenge is getting someone else to buy into your design. Yes, yeah, you do it a bit with us as, as as your professors and teachers. On you have to convince us that you understand a concept, that you have an idea that relates to the client or the context of <laughs> uh, of of what you're doing, and then that your design resolution will work. Sure, but you know. Oftentimes for any building, I mean, I think people don't understand, you know, you see it on the news and people complain, now this is costing $10 million. What could you do with that? Well, it's actually not a lot of money when you think that projects take years and years and years in development and that they take, you know, a house is upwards of, you know, $400,000 to millions brand new. That doesn't include land. And so there's all these costs and all these things that come together. And so whenever somebody's entrusting you with that much money, as an interior designer or doing a big building, you have to please a lot of people, right? There's It's never usually, even on the house, there's a couple and you know, you're know you trying to deal with two people, but on most commercial projects or if we do a lot of public work, right? You have the owner, then you have maybe the user group, and then you have you know, five or six different boards and you have the internal reviews of engineers. So you're presenting your work to 20, 30 plus people. And so, making sure that everybody is happy about a design is nearly impossible.
1: Yeah, that sounds very daunting. <laughs> yep. You guys both touched on budgets. So to date, that's something that we haven't incorporated into our programs. Do you think that is a good thing? It allows us just to go for it with everything? Or are we missing something by not using that constraint? Because it is obviously one of the biggest factors when we're working.
2: I see. You're not right now. You, uh, you know, you're in third year. Uh, the class in regards to budget is really comes into play in your professional practice class. So that's in the fourth year. We, I don't think you're missing like, like oh, are we kind of missing a big hole in our? No, I think the three years is, you know, we need to take that time to, um, for you to explore. Mm-hmm uh without a lot of constraint. Even though sometimes I know you think that, why can't I just do this huge cantilever? Why not? Gravity, <laughs> you know. So um, it's. Uh, I think there's uh, there's some restraints, but I think it's. I, I guess it's. Uh, uh, in regards to the learning process, uh, it's a good time to then look at budget because even after schooling if you want to become a professional interior designer or a licensed or a registered you do have to go through your internship so that is where another form of learning comes into play especially the the you know the the real life design process and dealing with clients and contractors and, and things like that so you know 3 years is really not a long time if you put it all together in regards to your four oh four well three years of learning and then we kind of touch on um budget in your fourth year. Oh, right. right. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's that's not a whole lot of time in regards to this the the overarching kind of development in your learning. Um I think if we you know to, to have time to play. I don't think mm-hmm. we give enough time about playing and just making mistakes and just um just being able to kind of free Kind of have design. Uh, just, move your pe- I was like, just move your pen. I would say just move your pen, sketch, right. And so, I don't think we have enough time because I know when graduates grad uh, finish this program, the one thing that's a lot of times they say is like, oh, I miss when we were just back in your first year and we just had to build shapes. Oh, that's so much right. Fun. <laughs> and so, for me, I uh, I think when you're in it, it's it seems like forever. But uh, I think enjoy the time. That's good advice.
3: Yeah. yeah. It's just another layer hmm. that eventually comes up. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll go through it in tools a little bit, how to do some area takeoffs and apply broad mm-hmm. numbers. But to do it to any level that it would be fruitful, it's just costing is a very complicated thing. Yes. And it takes so much time that you know bringing it into early design education is you know you'll understand it professional practice but it's one of those things to get good at it you have to do it for five ten years in practice to really understand it and so we introduced the ideas but it's not something that's a that's a focus you you learn it very much as you work and alan brought that up you know that's an interesting thing for interior design you you do your four-year degree and then you have to work for 4,000 hours. Yeah, but two and a half years, three years. Three years to get enough hours to for, you know, uh, as a, as an intern process. And then you still have to do your NCIDQ exams. And then if you want, you know, so that you have your certification. Then if you want to get licensed or registered, you have to do that through the, you know, the AAA in, in um, Alberta anyway. So there's, you know, there's four years plus at least five, six afterwards. So you're looking at a decade. And, you know, you learn so much more in practice. And the idea is that you have a fundamental design sense through school so that at least you understand the principles of dealing with people and can do something that's going to better the environment.
0: Amazing. So we had a couple of questions from the students on our Instagram. Um, So MRU is one of the CETA programs across the country. Can you guys tell us more about generally what the CETA program is for us and then also what qualifies different products to be pulled for or sorry projects to be pulled for CETA?
2: oh yeah so CETA, uh basically is uh, a body uh, in north america here it's basically they accredit schools based on certain criteria, and there are you, you can actually go to their website and they uh, list uh, now you're testing my memory of um, how <laughs> many standards there are uh, they list a numerous standards that have that a school needs to meet in order to be in order to be a seat accredited school and that's just not not including the uh, the work that the students pr- produce but also the quality of the school the facility that the students are in um, the number of staff full-time staff part-time staff their um, their credentials, their experiences, uh, so it takes into account uh, a whole bunch of other factors. But yes, the key factors are uh, the student work. And so, basically, uh, we take samples of student work uh, when we are getting ready for a seat of visit. And so, we are actually coming up to our our first full visit uh, in the next three in three years. So. Three years from now, we'll have a full visit to get re accredited. And basically, what the pulling, we call pulling the work uh, or collecting work, is that CETA sets a bunch of different standards uh, for each of the subject matters that interior designers, uh, at a minimum, in regards to what we need to teach you and you need to learn, and um, what you, a minimum of kind of standards. So, we they require let's say in lighting uh, samples of uh, can the students uh, understand uh, color theory? So somewhere in the program, color theory is taught. You do a project in color theory. So we have to pull various projects that demonstrate that the students say yes, they understand color theory and so so, and so, there are these bullet points that we have to keep track of, and there's a big, large matrix that we have in our computer bank, and we as faculty, have multiple meetings throughout the year to ensure that we're on track and making sure that we are uh maintaining those level of requirements um of of work and teaching in the program and so your guess your question is. What type of projects or what? Like, um,
0: I know that in our first year, when we didn't know a lot about CETA, if your project got pulled for CETA, everyone was like, oh my God, ooh, you got CETA, and it was like the utmost honor. (laughs) And (laughs) And then we had a prof tell us in second semester, first year, that it doesn't necessarily mean that your project is the best project. It meant that you had displayed something for CETA that, you were trying to communicate, yeah. having yeah. been taught to us, and then yeah. we're all like, "Oh, I beg your pardon. What? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm one not the, the
3: best." One of the important things is that the reason CETA is important is because it allows you to become like a certified interior designer, right? So you can anyone could start up a school, call it interior design school. If it's not seated accredited, so this goes back to what I was talking about earlier: the process of ten years getting certified. You need a bachelor degree in interior design from a ceta recognized school. In order to do the internship and then take the NCI,
2: it's the most direct route. Uh, You know, it's not that you can't get registered; it's you have a longer route to get to that registration. And it really depends on jurisdiction. So, in Alberta, it's different. In that, you know, BC, the US. So you really have to find out what the requirements are in that jurisdiction, Mm -hmm. and. The direct route, but you know, is the CETA accredited school that way you don't have to follow this winding yeah. path.
0: And, yeah. and MRU is one of three in Canada, correct?
3: 13. 13.
2: Thirteen. Oh, geez, yeah, yeah. I was one like, we're, amazing, we're the only but... one in Alberta, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. 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 So that are uh CETA accredited, yeah. school.
3: Right? But I like because I did Alan's alternate path because my undergrad is Bachelor of Fine Arts, my master's is architecture, so it's right. not a CETA accredited one, so I had to have more intern hours, right. so to speak, in order to be able to take the exam to get certified so
2: So. you so people know when they go to a CETA school there's this minimum standard of in regards to learning and what we expect that uh, you are getting from us under the school uh, a a base level for uh, an interior designer coming out from their four-year bachelor's
1: right okay that makes sense
0: So employers know more what they're getting from Cedar schools because I there's guess a so. set yeah. standards.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure, and you know, and like you said, it's not necessarily the best project, but there's something in that project that uh, that meets a requirement sometimes, and so we tag that and we catalog it, and it's and so as you can imagine, we have to t- provide at least three to four samples of student work for one particular uh, uh, requirement. So it, that's why we take three years mm-hmm. uh, to do it so that – because it does take a long time to – takes hours and hours to catalog. And then when they come, you have to set up the display and do um, – create the – uh, set up the display and create the report so that they can actually go through. Because they, they will look at all the projects that, you've, uh, that you – that we've provided
0: I'm just imagining this like dark room somewhere in the interior design department, we just do have full a dark of projects. Room.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, we call it the cedar room. I don't Bias. know if you've been there. We have no. several rooms. Yeah, mm-hmm. now we have several rooms.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> There's um, one other question from the students. It's kind of a loaded one, though. A little bit. It's, oh. <laughs> this was <is> not us. <laughs> this is not ours. Have you ever had regrets about your career choice? And maybe I'll give you an option. That if that's too loaded. Maybe something you would have done differently? Or what would you be doing if you weren't doing this?
3: Uh, Actually, for me, it's worked out phenomenal. I've, you know, everyone's got regrets in life, but no, I get to practice. (laughs) I love architecture. I love the projects we do. I love people I work with. I love being a teacher. Um, So, no, I mean, if anything, I would have liked to do engineering Mm. as an undergrad, but I would have wanted to end up in the place I am now. So, no, I'm actually. Very happy. Sorry, <laughs> not very loaded. Not as juicy, if you're really no, happy. Yeah. But
4: don't apologize. Yeah, for
2: yeah that. It's I think great. That's what we're all, all striving for. Um, I don't know if it's a regret, but I think I think like Nate. If, you know, if I didn't do this job, I would do something different. And so I love. I think interior design, architecture, for me was the overarching thing was I wanted to be in the field of in design so whatever it is um uh, that's kind of the field uh i want to be in because that's how i kind of live my life it's about design the objects that i i know maybe it's a little um maybe it's a little uh people always kind of question there's you know there's why I have these objects on my desk. And it's like, well, just because they're designed well, and this is you know, the form of it. And so um, I like to curate, <laughs> as you guys know, uh, my, uh, the stuff that I have. And so, but if I did not do interior design, I would probably be a fashion designer. Or a yeah.
4: yeah. So that that's
2: my sense. other
3: love. <laughs> I would learn to sew.
0: Oh, Which I, I don't totally... know how to sew. You should learn to sew Alan. <laughs> Summer project. No, yes. don't. He'll
3: get scooped up by Armani or
0: <laughs>
4: taken
3: away from us. It'll be a huge loss. So. so,
0: Alan always dresses so fashionably. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's one thing. I've had multiple people ask me where I think you get your clothes
2: oh, custom, tailored. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not at all. And I, you know, and that's, the, uh, I think that you can dress well with any budget and I've gotten things from value village to this day I still have it uh uh things from primark um uh, uh you know of a, a fast fashion but that, that you no know, it just certain thing just lasts long or um so and that's where I was thinking I was saying that I I've curated my style I guess Everybody does, and I've just found the one that works for me, and I don't have to think about it <laughs> so i that so that that means a lot of black <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dark outfits so um and I only shop at certain stores just because I know the fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people still try to find their fit, and that for me is knowing the fit, and I just stick i I almost stick religiously to or five stars
3: see designers love design yeah right?
2: yeah and that's in right. every way in every yeah. way and it can be anything and I think that's the the wonderful thing about our, our profession that we're in is that you can take it into various
3: yeah. um, avenues mm-hmm. but I also find design like to the question of are you happy designers tend to be happier because you take joy in more things whether it's design of a table or an outfit or right. space, you just enjoy that as a thing. That's hard to quantify, you know, in in some circles in society. Because, like, well, what's the purpose of something? Well,
2: because it beauty makes you can happy. matter and yeah. it makes you happy.
3: And yeah, you know, right. I think that's that's something that's too often overlooked or not considered, right?
2: And yeah. I think it's better now because I think people are getting the that's you know we always call the throwaway culture but i think people now are much more sensitive of what they really have and enjoying those key things um that we have so we don't we're not consuming Mm -hmm. a lot more than we used to. i remember when i I worked in retail like you know every day i got discounts for uh for various things so you bought like you know Ten flannel shirts, <laughs> because you got the seventy-five percent discount. You, you can tell he was toward. working in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I think I, I I think the mentality now, especially for the younger generation, um, they're more kind of focused into these kind of things that are that means something, and I think that's great. Um, things that are you know, whether it's clothes or objects. Um, I like it when they're when they mean something to people.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the quality over quantity. Yeah, and then if it mean like, uh, who is it? Does it bring you happiness? What is her name? She, oh, Marie, oh, Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Yeah. yeah. Does well, it make does it spark you happy? Joy. Yes. Yeah. It has to spark joy. Yep.
4: Yeah.
0: Well, on that happy happy note um thank you guys again for both coming in it was an honor to have you guys and it's great getting to know you better and discuss i don't know whatever pops into our brains
1: it's- yeah thank you so
2: much thank you appreciate great. it great thank you great chocolate